Mm. Questions? I appreciated your suggestion that 80% of practice involves strengthening citta. Would you expand further on ways to do that? Well, I think at this time I was suggesting in the early days, particularly 80% strengthening. Mm. Um, and seeing how, you know, when it's strong enough, it will, you'll know. <laughs> Why does it need strengthening? Because jitta, say primary awareness, heart, subjective center, a sense of being something, you know, which is always connecting onto various objects, which it finds doesn't quite fit. You know, trying to personalize what can't be personalized, that's one of its habits. Trying to own and claim and control something you can't. This is pretty stressful. It gets pretty tired out doing that and just keeps going because it desperately wants to find something to rest in. So it builds these these concoctions. So that's ignorance. Ignorance of vijja, dependent on that is the building of concoctions, sankara. Dependent on this percolates into the way into leading our consciousness to into such modes of of seeing and experiencing things. This is the first links, dependent origination. But if it is strengthened, uh, in it, uh, then it's a possibility it, it doesn't do this. It, it, it knows it knows its own strength. You know, its own strength becomes a refuge. It's finding something that it can settle into. This is rather imaginative and figurative language, but that's the way I'm addressing this. Because at least it, it can, you, you get something out of it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not classical, perhaps Buddhist language, but you get you get a uh, you get an exhortation out of it. And furthermore, it needs strengthening because just that—that's the standard model. But then on top of that. The stress of just ha- of doing all this uh, seeking and searching and aggregating your experience and being stuck in all that and not getting the fruitful results, which takes a lot of energy. Then also, in in your daily life, depending on who you are and what you're doing, there's the added weight of uh, 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 pressure work pressure and uh, pushing so creating so chitta also operates through intention through volitional qualities that's how it issues forth so when those volitional qualities are ramped up then the energy of volition is being used so you're running your life on on these volitional actions so all that takes energy so one gets quite depleted because what you're putting energy and effort into does not give you give your chitta the feedback to nourish it. It generally gets money in the bank, puts the food on the table, gets you a pair of shoes, puts gas in the tank. Great, but that's not really doing your chitta much good by itself. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no re- recycling. Energy is not going back into the chitta, it's all going out. So this is so it gets very stressful. That's the you know even one is living in very fortunate circumstances, let alone you know because jitter is also that which is affected. It feels, it perceives. So when we're in a situation where we're perceiving distress, uh, greed, hatred, delusion cascading around us and this storming sangsara, this is very this itself is like shell shock to the jitter. <laughs> You know, it's quivering with uh, anxiety and and dis- despond. So all that doesn't do you a lot of good. And apart from whatever else is going on in terms of your health or friendships or divorces or deaths, which also <laughs> take, take their toll. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> 
So I always come to these things, oh my God, what's going to come all in through the door, you know? It's like, oh quick, intensive care unit. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to, so I'd sooner err on that side than just imagine everybody's really in the pink of health and ready to strive on with diligence. So this, um, anyway, but even without all the, one would say, the modern stress factors and the, um, you know, and and not just the stress, but also the removal of of regenerative factors such as, uh, um, you know, uh, living in a field of love and kindness and being befriended and and having one's stress relieved. Yeah. 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 So, uh, living in, in, in relationships which are nourishing, which aren't always, isn't always possible for everyone. So, these would definitely be of some support. Mm. So, with this, then one's jitter is really quite, quite um, stressed and, and under, undernourished. Yeah, so, but it, it always need some strengthening just because of the power of the sense consciousness to pull energy out you know even in the best of circumstances energy is pulled out through the sense doors you know and so there's a depletion effect and uh, you know and there's also Energy gets used up in constantly generating a personality to to manage this whole ongoing thing. So that takes some work to do you know, to keep it on steady keel. And so if, if things really go bad, then the personality starts to get dysfunctional and, and so on. So strengthening chitta, they're really when for looking at this, one is one. First of all, we we uh, stop damaging it, so we protect it by uh, virtue, so that we're living in some healthy atmosphere rather than, you know, getting intentions and volitions going out that directly create toxic effects, like destructiveness, uh, hatred. Uh, corruptness of various kinds, abusive behavior. So all these will have negative effects on citta. So good is not just being socially approved of, it actually is a, a bright energy. It's not just a social judgment, but it's something bright. It's called bright karma. It's brightening, gladdening, it's nourishing. And the opposite, dark. It clouds, it pollutes. So one is very just to cultivate that, and to not just to cultivate it, also to keep bringing it into attention that you are doing this, because it's like you put the food down on the in the dog dog's uh, dinner bowl, and you don't, and the dog doesn't eat it. The dog doesn't get nourished. So you look at bringing the dog into the look. There's your food. Eat that. Stop sniffing out the door. Go and eat this. You know, stop chasing monkeys up the tree, go and eat your dinner. So it's like jitter has to also be directed to virtue, not just that we're doing it, we're also consciously recollecting. So this act of recollection is definitely one way in which we both protect the jitter from eating poison or eating junk food uh, or just whatever, but then eating good food. So recollection is virtue. Um, We also recollect... Uh, refuge, uh, Buddha, awakening, truthfulness, Dhamma, Eightfold Path. Think these things through. And um, you know, think them with a mind that uses thoughts just to point to what the heart, where the heart is at. Say, so is this true? Do you, are you one who tells the truth? Or try to tell the truth? Or at least try not to, to, avoid, to avoid lying? Are you someone who does that? What's that quality in yourself? Oh, yeah, no, no, everybody doesn't do that. <laughs> it's 
very obvious. Lots of people don't do that. What is that? This is the quality of Hiriotapa, sense of shame and sensitivity. That's beautiful. Take that in. So one recollects virtues. One recollects virtues in oneself and in others. So even other people's virtues, you you feel inspired and lifted by that. Association with good friends is another way of... uh, of uh, strengthening chitta because it can absorb you know the calming the warming the friendliness the purity of other beings as well so it's not even in do it yourself of course doing it yourself is part of it but certainly that will amplify the effect so taking um, refuge and constant and recollecting these things frequently Recollecting, one, recollecting one's values and virtues and bring them to mind. Why are they valuable? What, what makes them so valuable? It's not just an idea. You know, and can you get it? Where you get it, the get it bit, that's jitta. Thinking it is just a mental activity, but getting it, that place where you go, oh, that's jitta. That, that bit that gets it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the bit we're looking for, not just verbiage. So this directing of jitta is the function of wisdom. To say, you know, this should be followed, this should not be followed. Go this way, don't go that way. Wisdom is the the guide. So the more one cultivates this kind of wisdom, then that will definitely lead to protecting jitta and pointing it to the right kind of nourishment and strengthening. So use banya wisdom. We can use the wisdom of those we respect. Yeah. We model. Uh, and then, yeah. So you pick it up. This is called uh, you know, wisdom we've derived from others. And then we start to use our own you know, savvy gut knowledge, heart sense of, no, it doesn't feel right. The more you can do this, as jitta first of all is like a baby, you have to just keep popping things into its mouth. And then it, as it gets kind of a bit wised up, it's got its own, it starts to get its own intelligence. And then, oh yeah, don't do that, do that. And this is really um, the, um, the thing, the jitta is coming bit more into into line. Avoid possessing yourself with unwholesome thoughts, uh, unskillful thoughts, blaming thoughts, critical thoughts, sabotaging thoughts. If they happen, shun them, put them aside, don't give them any room. Protect yourself from the poisons that uh, we, we inherit these sabotage programs. They cut us down. I don't know why, but it's true. Yeah. Humans do this a lot. <coughs> anyway, so then the samadhi, so panya, and uh, um, so where does this begin? So this, these two very strong features of strengthening are, are the qualities of um, called samadhi and calming and steadying and metta so one uh, you're dropping the jitta into an increasingly fluent and comfortable embodiment you keep putting it in there into an increasingly open accessible and comfortable embodiment where it gets held feeling warm and safe and steady and energized by natural bodily vitality, the breathing in, breathing out. And so if we want to see there's a tremendous fruit in this, the Buddha recommended this process and cultivated it, and when he was enlightened, he still kept in it, just because it was a good place to be. Mindfulness of body, we call it. In brief,
So this first of all means uh, getting to a body, finding a body, because it can be the case one has almost lost it you know, from the, into the virtual. So just getting and working on getting a body that some, that the mind, was, the chitta will sit in. So you've got to steady it, open it, exercise it in obvious ways, in subtle ways, and then start sweeping through it. You know, what's this? What's this? Is this open? Is this shut? Is this painful? Is this, how is this? Till the body becomes more smoothly uh, opened and accessible. And that's a cultivation in its own right. In which many, there are different systems. One is the system of the elements, where you contemplate um, body, this appearance of embodiment in terms of earth, firmness, um, fire, vitality, light, heat, um, water, cohesiveness, uh, the ability to embrace and harmonize uh, in the body, air, the pushiness, pushy energies moving in the body, breath, uh, energy flowing through the limbs. And um, space, sense of openness within the body and around the body. And to bring these in harmony mean you, you begin to try to pick that up. This also requires wisdom. This may be too, you know, too subtle. So if that isn't ready yet, you just begin to sweep your attention through your body from the crown of your head down to the soles of your feet. Just sensing what's, how do you know you have that, what's there. This is so, this is going to make the jitta much more both acute, attentive, because what's there is, is not the same. Your head is not the same as your chest, not the same as your belly, not the same as your leg or your fingers. So you're just exploring the obvious sense. Yeah, This feels more resistant, this feels more mobile, this bit feels more cool or doesn't feel very much at all, quite numb. It's tingling, vibrant. So you're exploring these sensitivities as you sweep your awareness because jitta in this sense is awareness through through the bodily experience. And in doing that, the likelihood is, if you do it in a sensitive way, that the body begins to relax and uh, you can go deeper. Now this is, to, to cultivate like this, we, you must remember, you know, I would liken it to say, grooming a horse, for example, is a phrase I use. So you, you start with the, you know, the horse's ears are quite delicate, and the, the mane, and then the, the main body. See, how you sweep has to be depending on what you're sweeping. So it's not just like, cleaning a car, you know, you sponge the whole thing down like a machine. You know, it's the head to take some time. A lot of sensitivity there. Very delicate. Be careful. This is a sensitive, very highly triggerable area. Lots of nerves, lots of, uh, of activations there. And then you're sweeping down. And so you can even sense beyond what you might ordinarily imagine difference between a, a knee, like a solid bone, and your your eyes, very different parts of your body, aren't they? And so the quality of just careful attention is responding to what you're sweeping over. So it's not mechanical. And even within that, you might find you're sensitizing down through your chest. There's a, oh, that feels really quite you know, stuck, there's a tension there. Or something seems to be jumping. So as you begin to detect energy patterns in the body and then oh, linger, pause. And my recommendation is when you find somewhere that feels stuck or tense or in some way inflamed even, you just soften. You don't want to press, soften, soften, expand. So the way you, you train your chitta to respond is rather like a careful medic or, or a healer who's tracing 
and they come to a very raw place and they just very lightly and linger, just sending goodwill into the body, something like this. So this will both um, uh, makes the jitta much more acute and attentive because that's you know what you're doing, and so jitta, in terms of its intentionality, becomes more refined. It's not just like sweeping the floor, you know, boom, 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 but be careful. So your intention becomes much more supple and flexible and responsive. And what happens is. If these processes and practices are carried out thoroughly, the, a lot of energy tangled up in the body begins to soften and release. And it's tangled up because of pressure, tension, stress, compactedness, um, distorted postures, and so on. Um, so the releasing of the of the of compacted energy in the body makes the body a much more comfortable place than jitters begins to rest in that. Because now it's open, it's available. And you notice, yeah, hopefully, uh, you, if you cultivate like that, in line with that, that what's going to happen over a period of time is what's going to come to the fore is your breathing's going to come to the fore. Because the the density of the body has diminished. It's quite light, supple. You haven't got heavy masses of stress and tension in it, so which then block one's awareness. So as that become as the body tension and stress and compactedness or distortions lessen, then breathing in and out becomes more apparent as a constant sign, then you can Steady yourself in that. Steady the jitta in that. Be aware of that. Follow that. And uh, this is a subtle sign. But uh, the beauty of this, as with uh, as with anything in a body, if we're cultivating properly, is your intention has to get pretty acute to not push, to not just drift off, just stay with, not to press in, not to try to make it do something, you know, but just to stay with and track it as if you're like a, someone reading a pulse. It's not up for you to change the pulses, make them go faster or slower, or even to make the patient healthy. You just want to track the pulse, feel it. And that quality, you're dealing with a living system, it will start to respond. You know, when, it, when, it, when the body's intelligence senses that that steady, calm, careful, and agile attention, it begins to respond. It begins to release and settle and feel comfortable, and it calms. So then, you, then the jitter then is receiving the qualities of its work. This is a positive feedback loop. You're putting some energy in. Just like you do with anything, but this is this is you're getting a good feedback from it, and the energy you put in is not the business model energy. It's not the energy of drive faster, go harder, get it working quick as possible. Come on, come up with the results. This is this is not the model. This is not the model. It's like the model of a of a caring healer. It's a more useful model. Or someone looking after an, uh, an animal is a more is a more useful model. You know, you're responding to a living system here. And relationship. So one learns a lot. Jitta learns a lot. It learns and it is strengthened by the qualities that, of, of calming and strengthening and centering that the body brings. Because now. The jitter has got something to cleave to, where it's not constantly spun out into, you know, extraneous phenomena, and particularly the the the, the tumbling uh, effect of the thinking mind. Thinking mind will begin to calm down because the energy is not going into that. 
So this way the chitta is, is, is refreshed, strengthened and steadied and feels happy. Abhipa modayang, thoroughly, completely um, gladdening the chitta. One practices breathing in, breathing out. I mean, that's awesome, really. <laughs> so the other, so that's I've gone on quite a bit. But also, then practicing metta bhavana is really working on the intending, intentional quality. So we might say the body acts as like a, you know, a thing that we can respond to and work with, and the Brahma-vihara act as training the citta to to bring forth, to intend itself, to incline in ways that are uh, gladdening, loving, and give again very positive feedback. Right. So this, this, the four divine abidings, or the four measureless abodes, are inclinations of citta, ichetasa, is the term, the inclinations of jitta that give a very uh, positive effect. Yeah. They remove the sourness, the, the fearfulness, the guiltiness, the regretting, the recriminations about oneself, um, and the, you know, arrows of blame that we can throw onto others. Yeah. So they have various qualities. Metta is a, almost like, a, like that which inclines towards nourishing. Karuna, that which inclines towards protecting. Healing. So it stands in the presence of pain and discomfort and sorrow and doesn't blame you for having them. <laughs> it just transfers warm energy to that, to that, those difficult places. Mudita, ability to appreciate, be gladdened by the good, by goodness in oneself and in others, by good fortune, by skillful results, by the good karma of others, by their good deeds, and by one's own. They're very, it's a holistic thing, so it's not just to, it's to, you know, so it's to oneself as to others, all round. And equanimity is the sense of widening to, to uh, understand the nature of existence, nature of that which manifests, is going to be up and down. That's what it does. It, we wake up, we go to sleep, energy rises and passes. We're in a world where there's unfortunate results. We have unfortunate results that we experience. We don't know why necessarily. And we have fortunate ones. The latent tendencies of towards greed, hatred, um, ill will, which is still resident in us, and there are tendencies towards strengthening, purity, barami, such as um, resolution, goodwill, virtue, truthfulness, and so on. So there's the, this mix, I mean, just spanning all of that. And the theme in equanimity is just uh, widen your perspective, take a little bit longer. You know, the down will swing up, and the up will probably swing down. (laughs) (laughs) On some some way, and yeah, it's it's, it's this humility to it, the ability to to stand in the presence of one's humanity and and never give up. So the, the equation for equanimity that I, I sometimes use is nothing works, don't ever give up. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So this strengthens the, the jitta. Uh, this quality then jitta is called jitta vimuti. When this is pure, this is jitta visuddhi, purification of jitta. Jitta vimuti, uh, liberation of jitta. So the jitta is liberated from unwholesome intentions, unwholesome associations. It doesn't nest itself in in unskillful, painful, afflictive formations. It doesn't settle there. It doesn't go there. Uh, it doesn't go towards harmful intentions. That it dwells in its uh, its purity and its happiness. And it's this is the basis then for panya vimuti. We with that in that state in that in that condition or to the degree to which that condition is available. It's not always. Hundred percent, but the one strengthening and in tandem with that, we say this is all just, you know, that which has become formed, clarified, purified, is not self. It's conditioned, and uh, there's a release from the conditioned. Panya vimutti. So that's what we can say. I mean, this is like the whole of Buddhism, really, so I might take a little bit of time with it. <laughs> and that's not really doing it full credit. Relationship with jitta, how, to best, how can we best work with jitta? Well, keep listening. You know, I mean, everything we're doing is going to be doing that. And just look, listen to what I just said. Any one of those that you can pick up. Uh, you know, fundamentally it's going to be mindfulness, faith, um, energy, um, wisdom, concentration, purity of intentions. These are the these are the things we just want to keep, you know, reiterating to ourselves and bringing to to bear. And with these a lot of these factors, the beauty of it is that they're not just situation specific. They are things that we could. Once you you get them implanted, you know, then the idea is you get these kind. You begin to establish a sort of a, a you know, a, um, kind of whole trajectory of of how jitta works. And then you, your challenge is how you can start to meet things from those places you know, as stuff happens. You know, whether it's on a fairly obvious surface level. Yeah, or in the depth of meditation. That's that's the beauty of it. When when with wisdom one begins to see the conditioning causes that that lead to strength and health. And these conditioning causes such as faith and uh, these what called the indriyas, faith, energy, mindfulness, uh, collectedness and discernment. Yeah, you see well in any given situation, can you be collected in what you're doing? You know, can you be mindful of it? Of course, mindfulness is the is the one one's encouraged to cultivate. That means just bear it in mind, stay with it, steady yourself on it. Don't jump to the next thing. Stay with that. Take it in. Be discerning about it, and uh, then you gain confidence. Um, so one can then work with jitta really, you know, as long as you're awake. Or some people even say you should try doing it while you're asleep as well. Relationship with jitta to intuitive awareness. Well, I think intuitive awareness is, I think this is a phrase that Lumpur Samedo, I think he's the only one who's used it. Unlike many of forest teachers, including myself, we can't coin particular phrases to or terms that that seem to make you know we found helpful or remind us to ourselves, often in non-classical jargon, but more contemporary contemporary language gives you a better handle on it. I think with this he was trying to you know riff on or open up the topic of sampajan which is. Uh, often translated as clear knowing or full knowing. And unfortunately, 
as you recognize many of these Pali words and the English words. The English words are often rather more academic, so they tend to lift your intelligence up to your forehead, <laughs> when actually a lot of the intelligence of the Buddha is happening, you know, a bit lower, heart down there. But the, we don't have the English language for it. So in trying to get precise English terms, we come with terms that are perhaps slightly more academic. Uh, but I say intuitive awareness of gut knowledge, heart knowledge, whether this is exactly what Sampajano means, um, but it's, uh, you know, it means essentially operating, so not operating from just pure rationality, but something that's more deeply felt, which would be jitta, sensed, through jitta, the panya that arises in the jitta. Uh, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. This seems about right. And jitta will begin to to uh, express that. It does. Often we override it. We don't listen. Often we, we're rushing past it. Rushing past our own wisdom. <laughs> Following information. Or programs. So this... Um, Lingering, pausing, and beginning to get gut sense, heart sense, what feels about right. Um, this is, I would suggest, one way of relating this this phrase. But of course, it's not, you know, I can't really speak with authenticity about someone else's language, but this is what it means, that's what I get out of it. Let's take a few more. Could you say something more about the sacred? Mm. Sacred is something beyond price, and sacred is what's sacred for you. And uh, you're going to come down to probably values, virtues um, that stand and uh, stand the test of time, stand the test of circumstance, uh, something that lifts the heart makes the chitta illuminate, lightens the chitta, brightens the chitta, strengthens the chitta. So recollecting virtues, values, abiding in them, you know, this is the sacred. And of course in the time of the Buddha, they had a, a person walking around who just was it, you know, <laughs> was walking value. <laughs> and so there's a huge amount of, of uh, conviction arose just from being around this person who seemed to model it, you know, something, Bhagawa, the blessed one, the rich one, the sacred one, the holy one, Tathagata, the, the one who's gone to truth, the truth finder. So many of these epithets of the Buddha are there, derived from what this person seemed to model, and they're, they're extracted so that we can recollect them. And it may be you don't get all of them, but you get one or two that lift. So part of the, uh, one of the features of a lot of Buddhist practice is just this, is devoted, devotion, devotional recollection. Uh, in most Buddhist cultures, a good amount of time will just be spent Nourishing the jitta by devotional recollection and feeling the uplift, the inspiration, and setting one's values in accordance with the sacred. People go to stupas and perform rituals in order to really live and embody and be and dwell in the presence of that. So it's not just an idea, it really is something people enact. Yeah, mantras, recitations, pujas, uh, offering to shrines and images are all ways in which the sacred is taken from the conceptual into the heart experience and even into the body experience. And it's a celebration. Yeah. And you see it in the way that you read in the discourses how, particularly some of them, you know, the people will be trembling with joy when the Buddha spoke or 
well, it is marvelous. It is, you know, truly marvelous, Lord, and so on. Because the, 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 it shook them. Mm. And the ongoing exploration of greed and aversion. <laughs> right. <laughs> they seem to be two sides of the same coin. Can one exist without the other? they can't, why are they listed as separate? Oh yeah, I guess they, they certainly can combine, you know, greed, the, because if we don't get the results of our greed, we get averse. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes one aversion is just frustrated greed. Uh, yeah. uh, and because one feels averse, one gets more greedy, you know, because he feels soured and embittered and you know, miserable and hated or something, or, not, or deprived of, of, of a good feeling, then we get greedy. So they do, they do work together. But of course, greed very much moves towards consuming an object and aversion moves towards rejecting it or destroying it. So their actions are different. And similarly, the strategies by which one combats them or meets them is different. To be first known in presence, and sometimes that could be enough, just knowing and not responding to them. So this signal meets and doesn't doesn't, uh, catalyze uh, an action. So we just meet the rising weight of of hunger, and uh it's just that. So, you know, not to be followed, feel it. Let it be there, move on, let it fade. Um, so this is essentially, you know, Chitta experiences these fluctuating tides of inclination and disinclination. That's just how it is when we experience results of our, the programming of our lives. And when it gets crucial is when the mind, Chitta makes a decisive take. Yeah, that's that. This is called manokama, mental karma. That is, one's experiencing various, you know, inclinations and disinclinations, and then there's, you, see, you size up something that seems to seize upon a particular tendency, and that's the mental karma. Yeah, when when a particular tendency it clicks into determined or decisive mode, even before we said anything, we start to look. And the mind has now got the flavor of ill will or aversion. We look at ourselves with aversion. We look at others with aversion. We look at ourselves with hostility or whatever. So something has actually taken shape. And this is the mano faculty. Chitta is all potentials. And mano crystallizes that into a decisive yes. And then starts to you know, accumulate perceptions and energies that that, that um, firm that up. And then naturally, um, one experiences the results of that. So, if we hold presence, that can be a way in which those tendencies are not allowed to to light the fire, not, light, not allowed to crystallize, not allowed to, to form a decisive focus. If this is inadequate, or one finds himself being forming a focus, then we have several options. One is if we just refrain from going any further <laughs> with it, and we start to say, question the premise, like, this is doing me harm. <laughs> you know, uh, this is not taking me to a place where I'm getting better, but taking me to a place where I'm feeling worse. We question the premise, and that may be enough. Oh, this is this is unworthy of me. I don't. This is this is un, this is. You know, I'm brighter than this. This is beneath me. So that could be enough. If it isn't enough, then we begin to maybe investigate the nature of the object or the scenario which is generating it. Is this true? Is this really so desirable? Or am I just making it that way because of the greed in my mind? Yeah. Is the object desirable in itself, or is it my greed that's making it, though? Then you start to question like this. You know, is he really so bad, or is it just I don't like that particular piece of behavior because it 
You know, is the whole person so bad or just that little bit? Or that little bit and that little bit. <laughs> and the other little bit as well. <laughs> then if it's to say, well, this person's got problems then. <laughs> Why make it my problem? If he is, you know, bad-tempered, uh, insensitive, garrulous, opinionated and conceited, and so why is it? Why should I make it my problem? And one can sort of rationalise it like that. So in this way, you say, "Well, he does pat dogs. That's nice." So you focus on some aspect that you find is is admirable, then you try to boost that one up. <laughs> so because you, you realise you don't want this thing of ill, however bad he is, you don't want the ill will capturing your heart. Mm. And clearly, sometimes you just got to say, "Don't even look at it. Forget about it." <laughs> you know, this is just too, too, too hard, too white, too triggering. Mm. So, this, these are ways. Yeah. You be, essentially, you've got to slow the process down before the action takes place and investigate the roots of the action and the results of it, and ask yourself, you know, uh, do you, you know, you have a choice here. How important is it? This is really important. The only one thing you can get out of this life is purity of heart. Nothing else is going to really... The only, thing you, the only place you can defend yourself is in refuge, not through aversion. Taking refuge from aversion is the way to, to make yourself feel good, not by slamming people around. You mentioned um, Animitta Samadhi, signless Samadhi versus Nimitta Samadhi, Jhana. Mm. Animitta means there's no, it's really um, often developed from, from seeing things in the light of impermanence or seeing things in the light of anicca. If things are so fluid uh, and then there's nothing, no real concrete thing to focus on because things themselves are amorphous so disregarding the thinginess the sign of things because the sign is is a shiftingness one becomes more aware of you know signlessness because you're not following signs so your mind abides in we might say just in the knowing you know and maintains that as a as a place of stability and is not concerned with the flowing nature of the of signs, and this because this withdrawal tends to result in the very signs fading out. That is, phenomena begin to dissolve and become more amorphous and smoky. And so, a strong animita, you're not really experiencing much apart from a sense of boundlessness or spaciousness, which is a kind of subtle object. Nimitta samadhi means you you, folk, you have a particular sign, such as breathing in and out, that you focus on. And that sign will change. It becomes luminous or bright, and it's still a definite, yeah, something you can track. Mm. The word nimitta is a problematic one, because different lineages hold it in different ways. Some call, use this thing called the derived sign, which comes from often from staring at a casino where you get a particular point of light appears in, in, in your mind, you take that and you dwell upon that. And some people get these internal nimitters spontaneously when they meditate, they get luminosities or things of this nature. Um, naturally they're rather interesting because they're not of the norm and one can become quite focused on those. And some people say you have to have one of these before you can get anywhere in meditation, in samadhi. But notably, the Buddha didn't say this, so one feels, well, maybe it's venerable, that's true for him, but maybe other people, not, the Buddha didn't teach it, then, um, you know, well, good, enjoy. But, um, so, particularly Ajahn Chah wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't give much people much lift on anything, actually. <laughs> A great deflator. Mm. 
break the trajectory of suffering and by knowing Vedana as feeling and turning away before it goes into Sankara formations. Well, yeah, yeah, the feeling and then there's this impulsive reaction to that that crystallizes with it. That's certainly a way of, of cutting one of the links in which by which suffering, stress and compulsion builds up. Of course, it, you know, it's, it's not the end of the story, but it's very helpful to just break the momentum. Because feeling is a very strong object that we can experience most any time. Yeah, so, so it's a constant thing that you can keep referring to and sensing which you, how it affects one's moods or one's, one's attitudes or one's actions and just keep, that's a feeling. Of course, some feeling is worthy of following, so it's not that all feeling should not be followed. So, of course, this is where the, you know, some some Indian lineages, the ascetics, were very against feeling. So, just so they took a hard line against feeling. But the Buddha said, well, some feeling is associated with unwholesome states, and some feeling is associated with wholesome states. There's a pleasure of wholesome states, there's a pleasure with unwholesome states. Some unwholesome states arrive through difficulty and some unwholesome states. And so he, he said, it doesn't, you know, essentially with a little more refinement, you, know, you, you begin to sense the so wholesome feeling, such as the sense of happiness or gladness or, or somanasa, delight, that arises through skillful actions. This is a feeling to be followed because it leads to skillful uh, mind states. But if it's to do with things that throw the mind out into the sense world or into self-glorification, then it's a feeling to be restrained from and observed. So we have to really, it's good to just break the compulsion, but then you investigate. Um, often Dhamma practice is accompanied with uncomfortable feeling, painful feeling. Realizing that suffering is not that happy an experience. No, um, so, so, but then is is a wholesome mind state of strength, of faith, of you know coming to terms with things. Of is that being realized? So it's uh, most of these things don't have simple yes no answers. It depends. So let's uh, take a break and um, have another 30 minutes um, just trying to take in any of the things that have been said and putting them into practice. <laughs>